Well, let me tell y'all what I did this morning. All right. I made a amateur mistake this morning. <laughs> and I paid for it too. Got up this morning. It was cold. What can we agree it was cold this morning? Yeah, a little chilly. It wasn't too bad. Okay. It was probably <laughs> like at my house, 32. 31 degrees. It's usually a little colder at my house than it is down in town because we're at a little higher elevation. Now, I know all y'all people that live out in, you know, Idaho and uh, Montana and all these places, y'all think, oh, 31 degrees. Come on, man. Y'all don't understand. 31 degrees in the south Uh with this swirling wind and this humid, wet air that we always have, 30 degrees down here is cold. I'm talking about bone cold. It's different. Yeah. Cold out west, the air's real dry. And the cold is not as... It don't just chill you to the bone. At least that's been my past experience. I've been out in Montana and places when it's, <laughs> you know, down in the teens... And it's equivalent to the 30s here with this humid air that we have. Whatever, man. I get up on my, I mount up on my ATV. And I'm going to a stand this morning that's about a two-mile ride on my ATV. One of them ones we hung. Yeah. And so I'm headed on, I, I, I grab all my gear, get on the ATV, and I take out of there. And so now it's cold, and plus I have the wind off of the ATV just smacking me in the face, and I just woke up. My hands are just freezing cold, and I get up to where my stand's at and or where I'm going to park my ATV, and I'm like, all right, thank goodness. Now I get to get off of this thing and walk around for a little bit. I get to walk into my stand and generate some body heat, and hopefully I'll warm back up. Well, I dismount my ATV, and I... Reach, up, reach around to take my bow off of the front of it, I realize I left all my arrows at home. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am with a bow and no arrows. So I, I took my bow out yesterday to shoot the target a few times, and when I did that, I took my quiver off. And I just grabbed it this morning and Act like I just was ready to rock and roll, took off hunting. Mm. So then I had to ride two miles back out of the woods, down to the house, grab my quiver, and then I just went to a whole different spot after that. I was like, I got I got to go somewhere a little bit yeah. closer. I ain't riding two miles up that road again. Oh man. Oh, so Did you see anything? I seen uh I saw two deer that came in from the wrong direction. For me, for the way the wind was blowing, and they just stood there and blew at me for about 10 minutes. So I got to sit there and listen to deer blow at me all morning. I could see them kind of moving around through there. You saw a pieball deer this morning, huh? Yeah, I saw three does. It was a mom and two yearlings, and one of the yearlings was pieballed. Yeah, had white on up in its side, kind of swirling around, walked right under my stand. Real pretty. Why didn't you shoot it? Is a yearling piebald, man. Got to let that thing grow up. <laughs> it had a, I don't know if maybe they were, it had these spots running down its back, too. It, they weren't like fawn spots, but they were like real faint white spots on each side of its spine going all the way across its back from the tail all the way up to the head. Strange. 
Well, that was definitely a pie ball. It wasn't just a fawn because I saw the picture. Oh, you yeah. Sent and it, it had a lot of white on it. Yeah, I mean, it had like a swirling pattern come up on its on one of yeah. its sides. But what, what the crap, man? Why didn't you shoot that thing? What would I have done with that it? That would have made a full body mount. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. And where am I going to put a full body mount? You could have put it right here in the office. <laughs> just put it right here on the yeah, table. Right table. in the middle of the table. Yeah, yeah That's man. Right. Yeah. No. Dude, I, I've been hunting all my life, and I don't know that I've ever seen a pieball deer before. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Gosh, somebody. She man. actually walked the trail that I walked into my stand on and was smelling and licking all the branches that I had rubbed up against. I'll be darned. Yeah, n- the mom knew something. She could smell me where I come in Yeah, further out, and her and the other baby took off, and that one just stayed right there licking <laughs> branches, and... They done went in the woods. That joker ain't going to make it. Uh-uh. You, you should have killed it because <laughs> something else is going to kill it. Yeah. Uh, do y'all hunt? I don't. Not, not really. Really? Nah, never really had the opportunity, I guess. Didn't grow up. Parents didn't hunt. So, Did you Have you ever killed a deer? I have not. Yeah. Well, don't, don't, don't feel bad. This is Blake's first season. So he's <laughs> just figuring things out. I've killed a lot of deer. I just never really hunted. <laughs> yeah he just he just the the deer he's killed he just happens to shoot him while he's just walking through the woods yep so well outstanding outstanding um i want to know how you guys met joey Haley. how did how did you guys meet blake how'd you guys end up here because i i have I, I i've never spent a lot of time with you guys so Where'd you guys meet at? So, Kat is my cousin. Say what? Yeah, she is. <laughs> Hold up just a minute. We got kin folks in here? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. You, you didn't never know that? told me that? You didn't know that? No. Everybody in Rockmore is kin, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, this Blake's is wife is Caitlin. Haley, you're Caitlin's cousin? Yeah. How does that work? I oh mean. lord <laughs> um so her gr- her grandmother and my great-grandmother are sisters oh yeah are you talking about granny i'm talking about granny uh, <laughs> granny carrier <laughs> <laughs> i've only met granny one time and i don't even know if you can consider it meeting her i think i just saw her yeah, yeah. kind of <laughs> out in the yard there she's a card yeah, she is. <laughs> and so Granny's sister is your grandma? Great grandma. Well, I'll be darned. Yeah. Yep. What yep. about you, Joey? Well, I guess I met, I mean, I knew Blake a little bit through school, but never really talked to him much. I didn't move to Rockmart till my sophomore year. So I really don't remember a whole lot of people I went to school with. Um, But I just know Blake mostly, I guess, you know, Haley. And Kat, and then we got church and uh, life group, which Kat, you know, invited us to the church they went to. Yeah, that's and, how uh, we got involved at our churches. Kat invited us to come with them one Sunday. Well, she kept pestering me. She was like, come to church with us. And I was like, okay, you know, one day we will. Yeah. And finally we just showed up, and the rest is history. We've been there since since that day. Okay. So you went to Rockmore yeah. High School, Joey? Yeah, I moved there my sophomore year. Okay. Up to my sophomore year, I lived in uh, Coosa. So I went to Coosa High School my freshman year. All right. All right. What uh, What was Blake like in high school? Was he a turd? Nah, you he remember him being a turd? He was uh, I've heard some stories about him being a turd. 
And, uh, <laughs> probably was. So a couple people tell him, tell him, uh, tell some stories about him and stuff. So that's bad. So I remember, I think I was in eighth grade when you started driving, Blake, and I remember you used to come by and your mom would write you an excuse for being late for school. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, yep. Sweet little old Jennifer. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, was mom teaching at, at Rockmart High when you guys went there, Blake? Yeah, well, I, that's how I went to Rockmart because we actually still lived down in uh, Yorkville. Oh, okay. And then uh, I would ride to school with mom and sit in her truck. And when Jacob would drop Kyle off the middle school line, he would come through and I would run out and jump in Jacob's truck and he'd take me over to high school. Oh, my gosh, man. Uh, Yeah. That is wild. Good old days. Long time ago. Yeah, feels like a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, Some people, I guess it ain't really that long. but Dude, me, well, it's always... You know, I I'm I was gone when you were in high school. I was pretty much gone. I, yeah. I don't remember being around when you were none of that time. So mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Blake back in them days. Oh really? Yeah, I need to start interviewing more people that know about him from back in them days. So. All secret time back then. <laughs> That's right. He don't let nothing slip from them times. Uh, I don't usually invite many people on the podcast from back then. <laughs> It's too oh. bad we're, we're related, huh? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so Caitlin invited you guys to uh, to church at um, one hundred and one church with James. Okay. Yeah. Now, what were you guys Christians? Yeah, I grew up Baptist, so that was a lot different. Is a Baptist a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. Okay. All right. I wonder why they call themselves Baptists and not Christian. Beats me. Okay. What about you, Joey? <laughs> I mean, I grew up Methodist, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's I a Methodist? <laughs> I, I mean, they're they're a little bit different because uh, I guess you know back then, me and Haley, we were, you know, we were we were young, so we were trying to find us ourselves a home church, and you know, she was Baptist and I was Methodist, but. And those two don't mix very well. We went we went to a, a little church one time that was more of Methodist style, and she said, I'll never go back again. Oh, <laughs> what, hold on. What was wrong with the Methodist? What, what, what's Nothing, up with I the mean, Methodist? it's not the, the, you know, they just kind of. It's just it's, a lot different from what I grew up. It's break, not that it's break wrong. Break this down for me. Break <laughs> this down for me. <laughs> it's not that it's wrong, I guess, because I grew up in it, but it's more of a. That church was not meth. It was like Pentecostal. Like I was scared that the snakes were going to come out of the. So it was a cowboy church. It was in an old arena, which you know it had um, wood mulch floor, metal chairs, Dang. and they did a. I mean, they do a lot of yelling and running and jumping and, you know, they touch you on the forehead and you hit the floor. You know, it's kind of that that kind of stuff. That's why they had that wood chip floor. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly Soft landing. <laughs> Just hopefully you didn't hit one of them metal chairs on your way down. What, <laughs> man? I I did. I thought Methodists were like. Um, I thought they were like the uh, like, dry, real like dry. real dry. That's what I thought. You coming from a different branch branch of Methodism? <laughs> they had son. a different method over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember growing up. I mean, you sure that's Methodist? Not you had to, you know, you got to wear, you know, you got to dress. You know, women can't wear pants. You know, you can't show any skin. Um, and 
You know, they really believe in, you know, the Holy Spirit getting a hold of you and, you know, that whole atmosphere of, you know, just as a kid seeing it, it's it's, it's crazy. But, you know, looking back, it's, you know, it was normal to me, I guess, because that's where I went every every Sunday and every Wednesday. Okay. Was to the church and, you know. Where was the church? It was here in Rome. Okay. <laughs> And you and so you 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 grew up a Christian Baptist. I grew up where you sat there and you didn't say a word. You just listened. Really, you might eventually raise your hand every now and then, but how'd you stay awake? Uh, I mean, sometimes you didn't, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what church? What Baptist church was it? Springdale. Okay. The last time I went and spoke at a church building, one of the one of the uh, people in the audience was falling asleep, and um, and I and, and I'm pre- I'm pretty wound up when I get up and talk, and this jugger was falling asleep, and I threatened him, put him in the push up position in front of the whole congregation. He did. He, he stayed hey, awake, you after buddy. That. If you can't stay up, if you can't stay awake, I'll put you in the lean and rest position. I'm trying to tell a story here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so was how, that in the morning or was that in no, the No, that was service? in the that was in the evening. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That's that's pretty rough, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. terrible. Um, how'd you guys meet? High school. Rockmont High School. Yep. How'd that go? First oh. time you guys met. We've been together ever since, so <laughs> For real? Yeah. So it just was love at first sight. Pretty much. What class did y'all meet in? Hallway. <laughs> no, nah, I guess I mean more or less. I was, I played football and she was a cheerleader and um I don't remember. I guess yeah. I guess just running into her all the time. Yeah, mutual friends. Now I'm glad you brought up that football. We're gonna get into y'all's story here in just a minute, but you know I made a story post yesterday, and the story post said, actually, let me see, let me remember what it said here. I want to ask you about this, Joey, football player. Oh, the story no. post says, by the way, football is stupid. Enough said. Um, so, I mean, I have to, I mean, from, you know, I, I'm I'm an Alabama fan, so. Oh, uh, we got a football <laughs> fan in here, man. So, Saturday was pretty rough on me. I actually, you know, Haley's Georgia, and she was, you know, saying some things to me Saturday, and I was like. I really can't do this anymore. I really need to stop watching football because it really, really gets under my skin when Does something it really? doesn't go the way I want it to. It's amazing how into it people get. Yeah, and that's the way I get. And I, I sit back and sometimes after after stuff like Saturday, and I'm like, why do I do that? I don't. There's no point in that. It's <laughs> yeah. pointless. I worked on Saturday, so he said, "You better hope the TV's not broken when you come home." I was like, "What?" So I, you know, I, that's a bold statement I made about football. That football is stupid, but. I'm trying to get you guys to explain to me why it's not stupid. What what is it that appeals to people about football? Man, I guess I mean for me it's just entertainment. It's you know it's something that I grew up doing a little bit of and you know, just just watching it and watching it's I guess it's kids nowadays, you know. I used to be one of them, but now it's kids, you know, looking at them and you know, they're trying to they're going out every every day and just giving everything they have to, you know, hopefully one day make all that money 
and do it, what they love every single day. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that you got some people out there striving. Um, I was gonna ask you another. An, what what appeals to you about football, Haley? She doesn't watch it. She just lives in Georgia and thinks, you know, she's like Georgia football. Is football like is football like um when I grew up there was something called WWE. Is football like WWE or WWF? The World Wrestling Federation? I mean, I guess in a sense cuz you know back then I watched it too, you know, you have those, you know, the rocks, you know, the Steve Austins of yeah. everybody, you know, you you watch you watch that show to watch those guys. That's right, yeah. And you watch them do crazy things and, you know, just entertain you, really. And football's kind of like that. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah, I think it's the same. Well, if you've played football, and even if you – especially if you played for, like, the college team and then you're going back watching it, I could see more of it. Like, if you were a participant in it and now you're like – you know, it's kind of like, hey, I like to do – I like to hunt. So I'm gonna watch some hunting videos. You know, I mean, I could I did see that it the other day. I could see it then, but if you ain't uh if you've never been on like a uh, official team or, and you just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna watch this game because everybody else is watching it. I don't get it. Well, what drives me crazy about it is people. It it consumes people's lives. Yeah. They, that when football yeah. season comes in, they they quit working out, they 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 just freaking just want to watch football, man. I mean, it it just drives me insane that you would be that invested in something that is entertainment. But I guess I, if it's like WWE, I guess I can understand <laughs> it. Well, that's what I've done with hunting season this year. I ain't, I ain't hardly hit a lick at us. Well, snake. hunting's different. Hunting's different because okay. we like hunting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? different. Yeah, that's true. H- hunting's not entertainment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, but I remember when I was a kid, I remember wanting to watch, you know, the WWE and w- it came on WWF, I think, one or the other. One came on Sunday night and one came on Monday night. It was like Monday Night Raw or oh, something. Yeah. Okay. I can remember wanting to stay up and it came on late, like 10 or 11. Yeah. Wanting to stay up and watch that. WWE or whatever, and uh, very rarely was I allowed to do that. I usually had to go to bed before it came on. Um, so I guess I can get it. When I was a kid, I I was I was pretty into that stuff. Oh yeah. So, well, let's get into y'all's story, man. Um, where do you guys want to start? Where's a good starting point? When did y'all decide you want to have wanted to have children? That that's a que- I, that's a selfish question that that I'm asking here, because I have I personally have never. Brooke told me yesterday. She said, "You know, I was thinking the I was thinking the other day. You know, maybe next year because me and Brooke are getting old. All right." She said. She said maybe maybe next year we should just. Stop trying not to have children and just see what happens. And I said, that's a terrible idea. Well, I, I can why? go ahead and play that out for you. Yeah. I, I, I said, why would you, why would anybody? I said, look, you, you don't stop, you don't stop, uh, whatever it is, 
trying to not have children until you've made up your mind you want to have kids because you know how it works. Uh, so yeah. a, unless you've decided that you want to have children, why would you stop trying uh, try not to have children? I said, that's the terriblest idea I've heard in the, in the all month. That's like saying, I'm going to stop trying not to get fat. <laughs> and just see what happens. Yeah. Just, just see what happens. <laughs> I'm gonna quit working out and eat Krispy Kreme. And if I do, yeah, I do. Yeah. I just said no. That's a, so. When did you guys decide y'all wanted to, to start having children? Well, it's crazy, but we pretty much knew from the day we met that we wanted to have kids. Really? Yeah. So what we, does that feel like? Um. Well. Feels good. I didn't really know what oh, I wanted I to do with my life as a young adult, but I knew that I wanted to be a mom. Okay. So we got married, and then we immediately started trying to have kids. Really? Yeah. Joey, you were on board with this? Felt the same way? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I grew up, you know, knowing that I wanted a, I wanted kids, and I wanted a, I always thought I wanted a, you know, a big family. A lot of kids. I mean, not like a lot of kids, but three mm -hmm. or four would have been good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Man, well. So, but we pretty much, I mean, uh, I guess Haley was a senior in high school, and we actually moved out and lived on our own. Um, so, I graduated two years before Haley did. And uh, we lived on our own, and. Uh, we actually, I guess you got pregnant your senior year too, right? I found out like the week of graduation. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. We got married the same, we got married April of that year and then she found out she's pregnant May of that year. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So we immediately started having kids. Okay. So that's your, that's your oldest daughter. Yeah. Yep. Ellie. Ellie. Okay. Yeah, and Joey, you were going to come on the basic course the other day, right? I was. We couldn't find a babysitter for Ellie, though. <laughs> no, Ellie and Holston couldn't couldn't. Where were you at? I was working. Oh, my gosh. I yeah, Hold shoot. on. So you got, you're a mom and you work? I work, yeah. I work in labor and delivery. <sighs> Do you really? Yeah. Wow. Come on, man. She's around babies you are, all the you time. You are all yeah. about it then. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say that. Man. Okay. So, you guys get married. You immediately know you want a family. Are you are you what what were you doing for a living back then, Joey? Uh, I think You had just graduated from the police academy. That's right. I graduated mandate Got married halfway through it, and then graduated that May, and then uh, I went to, I think I just worked in warehouses and stuff, right there at the end of that, and did that for a little while. Did you ever go into police work? I did not. I, uh, I, I guess God took me down a different path. That's the way I look at it. It just didn't, didn't work out, and it really, you know, I look back, and I'm thankful for the, going through mandate and all of that, and then... But I'm, you know, the path that I'm on now is I'm very proud of and glad that it brought me this away instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'd like to dig more into what that, like articulating what that path is that you're on right now. Because I know that you guys have have a a new mission that's been born out of the uh, the trials or the experience that you guys had. And, um, and I want to dig into that. And I want to, because I remember when you guys were going through what you went through. And I remember seeing, I want to say I saw some, some posts on social media that you guys had made. And it was like, I can't even imagine, uh, what that felt like in the range of emotions and the just the self-sacrifice that it took for you guys to to walk through that experience and and I want to dig into that and I want to dig into what was born from what what was what has come now after that and what your mission is so tell, tell me tell me that story please okay so you know, I told you I work in labor and delivery, so we were pregnant with our third child, Hudson, and um, we went to just a regular OB appointment, the one where they do like the scan that measures like all of the things, the anatomy scans, what they call it, and so um, we were there, and she, the ultrasound tech was doing the scan, and she kept telling me, you know, turn this way. And then I would turn that way, and she would say, well, turn the other way. And so I knew, just because I'm medical, I knew mm-hmm. that she couldn't get a good picture of something. I just didn't know what it was. So um, she asked me to leave the room, and she was going to get me some ice, and hopefully the baby would turn into a good position where she could get the final pictures that she needed. And so um, I ate the ice. I came back, and she says, I still can't get the good pictures. And so... Um, I was like, okay, and she said, it's okay, Um, we'll just talk to the provider. So the provider was one of the providers that I work with on a daily basis. She's a really good friend of mine, so she comes in the room, and she says, "Um, do you have any concerns? And I said, no, I don't think so, and she says, well, I do, because we can only see two chambers of his heart, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the heart has four chambers, so I knew pretty much immediately what that meant and how sick he would be, and so... um, she asked if uh, I had a preference on which specialist that we wanted to see. And I told her, no, I didn't, because I had never had to see a specialist before, and I didn't really know what that, you know, would look like. And so um, she sent us to a specialist, and um, we got the diagnosis of hyperplastic left heart, which is, you know, the two chambers. And then he also had pulmonary atresia, and um, his pulmonary veins connected to his liver. So he was not, like, once he was born, he would get no blood flow to his lungs at all. Mm. So um, that was when I was 21 weeks when we got, like, the final diagnosis. So we knew, like, early on that we would have to um, continue the pregnancy. And they gave us a lot of options. They said, you know, we can terminate the pregnancy, which Joey and I, of course, we don't believe that way. It's Mm -hmm. just we've never believed that way. And so... Um, we said automatically we were like no we want to continue with the pregnancy so there's a stage surgery so they can do um, 
The first surgery is normally like the week that they're born, but since Hudson was getting no blood flow at all to his lungs, his would be the day of. Um, so we went with that option, and we chose palliative care, which is basically what comes along with that surgery. And so um, for the remainder of the pregnancy, we had a lot of appointments, and we just prayed, and we were really hopeful that the Lord would just heal him mm-hmm. in whatever way that it, either, we knew he would be healed. Either he would be healed on earth or he would be healed in heaven, but mm-hmm. um, we knew either way that whatever was happening during that time, we didn't understand it, but we knew that the Lord was working. And so um, that was just a journey that we we just decided, hey, you know, like this is the card that we've been dealt, so this is just what we have to do. Mm. <clears throat> when when you guys finally got the that firm diagnosis and you obviously were, you, you realized that, okay, this is going to be, um, a really like this is a serious condition <laughs> right. um what was that like did you guys was that like a really like a heavy thing for you guys or was there were you guys just clinging to the hope that there would be you know the surgery would work or or how how are you guys feeling after that diagnosis i mean was it a lot of anxiety was it sadness what what were what are the emotions that go along with something like that uh i mean all the above <laughs> i mean really it's a little everything every day was something different every cuz it seemed like it was almost i mean we feel like every day we was going to do something yeah um going to see somebody going to you know this specialist or or going down to atlanta to the children's hospital for them to look <clears throat> at something or it mm-hmm. was always you know, somebody talking to us about something, you know, um, so because Haley, she was still working, so she was still around all a lot of the doctors. And so, you know, just, you know, for me, I'm not medical background and almost oblivious to all of it. Um, I know it's bad, but I don't know how, you know, I've never seen anybody with it, never heard of it, never. I don't know. I've never been. So I was oblivious to most of it, you know, so I held on to a. I guess the hope and, you know, and in my mind, it's everything's going to be fine. It's going to be, it, it'll go away. It's going to fix itself, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, God's not done doing his work. He's going to, you know, heal whatever's wrong with it. It's not there. He'll put it there. Um, I guess that was mostly my mind, my mind thought through the whole process, almost uh, probably the whole time, you know, really is, um, I just really, really believe that the whole time that it was when he was born, it was, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I really, and that, I really believe that the whole time. Wow. I was crushed because like we don't deliver babies like that at Floyd. It's, it's too much for, yeah. We have a level three NICU, but we don't do any pediatric surgery. So um, I knew. As soon as we got his diagnosis, I talked to the NICU doctors, and they say, oh, well, we have to figure out a way to get you to CHOA because that's where he'll have the best care and the best possibility for the best outcome. And um, so once we got to CHOA, which is Children's Health Care of Atlanta, for those who are not familiar, 
um, once we got to that point, um, they told us, you know, pretty much that HUD wouldn't go home um, for at least six months. Like, we would be at the hospital inpatient Mm -hmm. that entire time, Um, which was crushing to me because I felt like we had to make a choice between our other two kids. Um, We didn't really – our kids never really stay away from us. Like, I mean, I can remember when – our um, middle child, Holston, was born. He was probably two before he ever even spent the night away from home. Like, our kids are just homebodies, mm-hmm. you know. We don't, we have a good family and a good background, but um, we don't really have somebody that we felt like would, we would be okay with them staying with for like weeks on end. Yeah. Um, so that was hard for us. And we immediately had to start planning, like, what would we do? How would we? How would they get to school? And you know, we have to be in Atlanta, and they they're here, and it was it was a very hard, um, a lot of trials that we had to just work through. Mm-hmm. Um, now, during this time and in, in all these appointments and meeting with these specialists and stuff, did they did they did they give you guys any odds on Hudson's chance of survivability? Um, after birth like were there odds out there on the table or, or did you were, were the were the specialists leaning one way or the other or what what was what was that like I mean it's pretty much based on the child um, okay like cardiac babies some of them do great and some of them don't it just depends on um, because they when they do the echocardiograms when you're still pregnant they're they're looking through your skin your fluid through the baby's heart you know um, so they don't really know until the child is born how well that they'll do. Okay. Um, so they pretty much didn't really give us like a statistic like, okay, he's going to have like a 10% chance of survival or anything like that. Um, the only thing that they ever said was the week that he was supposed to be born. <laughs> Um, I was coming back from the specialist, and they had, like, a big teams meeting where it was, like, his surgeons, um, all of the care team at CHOA, the, the life flight team, because he was getting life flighted from one hospital to another where he was he would be born at Northside, and then he would get life flighted to CHOA where he would receive care. Um, my OB, like, all of the people were on this big teams meeting, and um, so they called me afterwards and they say, uh, you have any questions? Like, is there anything that we can finalize for you? Ask whatever you need to ask. And I said, well, you know, we wanted to pray specifically over uh, the surgical team and the surgeon, but we haven't been assigned a surgeon. And the cardiologist says, well, you haven't been assigned a surgeon because we're not sure that Hudson will be a candidate for surgery. And surgery was the only thing that was going to save his life. And we knew that. And they had been pushing that since day one. So mm-hmm. here we are like three days away from having a baby. And we're like, what? Like, this has never been said to us before. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty uh, devastating. Like, we didn't know if he would even make it out of one hospital to the next um, to be a candidate for surgery. And they're just telling you that three days yeah. Wow. Very much. Wow. Um, I want to go back real quick to the initial decision that you made once you got Hudson's diagnosis to fo- to follow through with birth and not terminate the pregnancy or otherwise known as, as having abortion. Right. Um, 
now you said you guys don't don't believe in that and i understand that coming from a, a christian um more more moral background and the knowledge of the bible and and uh and but explain because you know there there is I think there are so many differing opinions out there or, or beliefs in ter- around the topic of abortion or terminating a pregnancy because I, I think there's a lot of people that believe, well, there might be some grounds for that as an option if you are if it's if it's highly likely that the child is going to to pass away or 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 you know, be, uh, in some way, um, you know, debilitated when, when it, after birth, I, I think most people agree that if you're terminating a pregnancy out of convenience, that's wrong. Right. Right. But in your case, it's a different case. Oh yeah. So like, what was the, what, what, what brought you to the decision to go through with the pregnancy? I mean, I feel like every time that I would pray that um, I just saw this purpose for Hudson. Okay. Um, I didn't know what that purpose was. And, of course, at the time, you know, I'm still so early in my pregnancy. I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, there is a risk of stillborn with a hyperplastic left heart, so he could have passed away in utero. Um, but I just knew that there was something bigger mm. to the story. Um and that we should carry through with the pregnancy. Wow. And whatever, whatever that looked like for us after um, he was born, I knew that there would be a bigger understanding of why. Okay. Did you guys have a conversation about that? Yeah, so I remember the first, actually the very first time we were told, um, we went to the specialist here in Rome, and after they did their scans and all that, they actually gave us... Um, I think they gave us three choices. Um, one was to go through with it um, and then follow through with the surgery. Another one was go through with it but not do the surgery. And then another one was just go ahead and end it, you know, in that. And I remember, I guess, looking at them then, you know, you're like, why would you even give me those options? No, like. There's only one option on the table. I mean, we're going to go through with it, you know, the surgery. But looking at him then, and then, you know, I looked at Haley, and she was just broken because he also, I mean, just the fact of saying those words, you know, it just tore her up. And, you know, I guess from their standpoint, they have to give those options to everybody, regardless of what they think you feel or what they think your background or what they think you believe they they got because they don't know and mm-hmm. you know, I think the way it's actually works. a law that they have to give you that that option. Um, but I just remember looking at Haley and she just was broken and I was like, "There's no way we could." I mean, to be so broken when that option just comes up, you know, you really ain't even got to think about it, mm-hmm. you know. But just to feel that pain, then you know that automatically takes that out of out of the options. Yeah. There's no way just to, I guess, the way your mind and your body reacts to things is it's already your, I mean, that's your answer. 
Yeah. I feel like because, you know, we were already, we had had all these scans and all these pictures of him. And, you know, like we, I mean, he was our baby and we loved him regardless of um, how sick he was or, you know, mm. like we wanted what was best for him, which in that moment was ultimately fighting for his life, you know? Yeah. Um, so we, we just wanted to do whatever we felt like was best for him. Wow. That's powerful. Blake, you got anything so far? No, I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we we kind of stopped off before we went back to that, and thank you guys for explaining that to me. Because in, in no by no means in, in, am I um, an advocate for I, I think I, I I think you guys made the right decision. Like that's where I'm. I stand. But for some listeners, they would think, well, you know, why? Why did they? Why did they make the decision that they made? Because not everybody thinks the same way that we think. So and uh, I feel like too, like you don't really know what you would do until you're put in that position. Oh, I mean, I could. I can't yeah, even imagine. I mean, I really, I really do feel like, you know, of course, uh, with us knowing that we wanted to have kids always. Um, that was never really an option for us, but I feel like some of the people, you know, listening, uh, you you don't really know until you're you're there in that moment and you're in that office and they're mm. laying all these options out and you're like, this is this is my baby that we've that we've prayed so hard for and that we love so much. You know, how could they give us this option? But I mean, for other people um, who don't have insurance or you know don't have the means to. Um, make that decision you know it it, it is i mean it's a personal a yeah. personal thing yeah or as you think about it i mean there's a lot of people that can you know like well you're just selfish because you just wanted a kid or whatever you know but you know it played through our heads that you know you don't want to put anybody or any of our your kids in a situation where they're going to be in pain or you know this or that but you know so we we weighed i mean it was a pretty easy decision, but every day it was so, you know, you'd think about stuff like that. Like, I don't want to bring a child into the world and him have nothing but pain for the rest of his life. Right. You know, you don't want, so it's, I mean, it is weighing, you weigh all the options, you weigh everything, you know. Well, and to bear that decision, I mean, you know, like when you try to weigh the options, I got to imagine it's just, overwhelming and and at some point you almost have to realize that like i can't make this decision right you know like me as a human i can't process this and make the right decision because i i can't see into the future and i I, who am i to say that just because he's suffering i should end the suffering for him and i could see it as almost being offensive and angering that they would put that option on the table I, i get what you guys are saying that you know why they have to do that, and maybe it's by law. But I could think as a kid that that it, even though he's not born yet, and you've seen pictures, and you, you have carried him, yeah. And then to someone say, "Hey, if, if you want, we can. We have this option." I could see how it would be. I mean, offending offended is is a very mild term, but you know, make you angry. Like, what did you just say to me? You know, <laughs> and that's like, pretty much the way we looked at it. it was like. Why would you even put that out there? Like, we're and not I, even let's, let's don't do that. Like, <laughs> I like what you said too, Joey, about how you know 
your initial response to it was really what made the decision. It wasn't like you had to consider it. It was like, well, I knew because of how I responded to it initially. I didn't have to actually look at things. That was the just the raw truth coming out in me and made the decision essentially for right. you. Yeah. Yeah. But then he went, Joey took the time to go as you know, even further with that and saying, even though we had made the decision, it's not like mm-hmm. there were, there weren't these nagging oh, yeah. things that Soul were, you carry. yeah, that are like, what it, it, I, I know this is right, but man, there's, there's a lot that comes along with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And you're exactly right, Haley. Nobody can, nobody can know how they're going to, react until they're sitting in that seat and that's why it's so interesting for me to to hear a firsthand account from you guys who had to make this tremendous decision probably one of the hardest harder uh, harder decision than i have ever had to make in my entire life um and uh just to hear what what goes along with that and i think it all what it all boils down to what i hear you guys saying is when, when we talk about this subject particularly what it all boils down to is understanding when like understanding when life starts like you guys saw Hudson in the womb as a a living being a child of God yes. um, and you didn't just see him as some inanimate object. Right. Right. Yeah. And thank God for y'all's faith and and the love that you guys have in your heart. I mean, that's so we left off at that three days before you guys got that news that was uh, for the first time. I imagine that you, you getting that news for the first time that far down the road was pretty shocking, like you said. And um after that, leading up to uh, birth, I mean, did anything happen but those next three days? Is you guys just just spending time in prayer and and I mean, uh, yeah, pretty much. We had uh, all of our our whole church uh, was praying for us and uh, calling out Hud's name, and um, we had to tell our eight year old. Like, there's a chance that, you know, without absolutely crushing her spirits, but we wanted her to be prepared because, you know, they had her and Holston, our middle child, had went through this whole pregnancy with us too. Yeah. You know, like, they have saw this baby and uh, they have saw my, my belly grow and, you know, I mean, this is our family. And so uh, we pretty much had to, like, pull her to the side and just say, there's a chance that, you know, your baby brother may go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was probably one of the hardest things that we have had to do, um, aside from the diagnosis and all of the things that came with it, you know, was mm-hmm. preparing her, her little eight-year-old heart for this crushing moment that could come, could not come. We don't really know yeah. what's to be expected. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of prayer involved and a lot of, um, I pretty much, just let my whole life revolve around worship. Like I didn't turn on the TV. I didn't listen to anything else in the car. Um, like I just 
pretty much focused on Jesus and what what was happening in that moment. Um, I mean, it's it's hard, mm-hmm. but I just I couldn't let my my eyes off of him because if I did, you know, I felt like I would be even more crushed than I already was. <laughs> and, oh man! And, I mean, he was he was really upholding mm. me in that moment. That's pretty much the only way I can describe it. Wow. Just immersing yourself in in worshiping Christ and focusing on him and this, so, so that you don't become overwhelmed. Yes. Just seeing that that beacon that Christ is for us and yes. knowing that no matter the outcome with the, the gift of eternal life that he provided to all of humanity who chooses to accept yeah. that his free gift of salvation— yeah, that's a, something to really focus on in hard times. Wow. What about you? Uh, what were you doing to prepare yourself, Joey, whether it's mentally, spiritually? How did you get through those those final days? Um, I mean, those final days, I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of prayer. Um, but I guess from mine, I did a whole lot more of ignoring, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Um I was still working every day, so I'd go to work every day and just stay busy and just keep my mind off of it really is, I mean, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much all. I just ignored it for the most part. I would pray, you know, mornings and nights and through the day if something popped up or something like that, I'd pray and, you know, but that up and, I mean, like I said, I mean, I remember when Haley told me that, that, you know, there's a chance that he may not go through it, I think the very first person I texted was Blake and um, just asking for prayers. And, you know, I guess, I mean, I still had a lot of hope that it it's not going to be that bad. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fine. There's no sense in sitting here worrying about it and, you know, doing, doing this or doing that. You know, there's nothing I can do. Yeah physically or anything I can do to change any of it. So to keep myself sane, I guess, and keep me from worrying or or my anxiety from going up or whatever, I just stayed busy with stuff and just kept my mind full of work stuff and, and stuff like that. Yep, yep. You know, I can really relate to that, Joey. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm the type of person, the way I tick, I, I say – I'll, I'll cross that bridge when it gets here. All right. Yeah. There's nothing that I can do to influence the outcome of, of even the rest of the day today. So whatever comes, whatever's coming, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hope and pray for the best, but, uh, I'll cross it. I'll cross it when it gets here and I'll do the best I can with, with, with whatever happens when it's a situation that I, I have no impact Right. over and and i'll do the same thing man i'll i'll consume myself with with something uh in order to try to stay present uh so i can really relate to that man right yeah well that i mean you know there's in Haley's situation what a beautiful example of that when there is no hope jesus is the only hope that you can have <laughs> yeah you know if you didn't have that hope and you truly cared for your child you could get so wrapped around that that you would think, you know, what is even the point of me living if I've just lost this thing that, that I so dearly love or, or potential to lose this child? 
if you don't have any hope in any in anything beyond that, then you could you could get down a really bad place. So what a beautiful example of that when all hope is lost, there is still a hope that overarches everything and mm-hmm. uh you know in in your situation joe it that could be looked at as bad or like you shouldn't have ignored it you should have dealt with it but in a way that allows you to be strong for your family you know certainly i know your personality and there comes a time where you have to deal with it and work through things and i know you might continue to ignore it and at that point you could maybe talk about it more, but in this situation, I think that allows you to be strong for the rest of your family. You know, right. um, so those are those are uh, that's interesting. That's yeah. why I mean a lot of it. You know, you think about it. If you know, I'm the man of the house, so if all I'm doing is worrying about it, and I'm constantly, you know, my anxiety's up, and I'm I'm tore up. Yeah. you know, doing this or doing that. Then the kids are looking at me and Haley both like something is really wrong so then their anxiety goes up and then yeah you know whatever so with you saying that too we wanted to keep it like as normal as possible for Mm -hmm. them because i mean um like i said earlier you know we knew he would be there for a really long time so we had already um packed up all of our clothing and things to move to the ronald mcdonald house and thank god for the ronald mcdonald house because it was just like a block away from the hospital um but they still had to finish school. You know, they had to go yeah. through school and things like that. So um, it was already going to be very, up, like, an uproar for them. Um, so we were trying to keep that as normal as possible for them. We yeah. did. We sat, We still set up the baby bed, you know, put it where it was going. You know, they were going to, you know, the two boys were going to share rooms. So we went ahead and, I mean, we set up everything knowing that there's that possibility of him not coming home for six months. Yeah. But – for our kids, you know, we still wanted to go through the whole process and and just have everything as almost, you know, possible and stay on a good routine still and, you know, just trying to do the best I can with them to, you know, make sure they don't get, you know, their anxiety doesn't take over and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Man, what a tremendous amount of strength. Yeah. 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 That's unbelievable, man. Well, let's – um. Let's move into talking about Hudson's birthday and his life uh, that you guys shared with him. I want to hear about that time. Um, so we went in for like a routine C-section on November 11th, and he was born at 9.15. So uh, because I work in labor and delivery, I kind of – I drove Joey a little crazy because I could hear the monitors beeping and, you know, my anxiety was kind of all over the place. Um, So they were able to stabilize him and put him on the helicopter. Uh, He had surgery at four hours old, I think. Wow. Yeah, so that was his first open-heart surgery. So um, Joey had to leave Northside to go be with him. Um, He had to sign all the paperwork and, you know, um, all of the all of the things. Um, so when Joey got there to Choa with Hudson, they were doing the first echo, which we knew that would give us all the answers. Either he was going to be too sick or they were going to take him straight to surgery. So Joey had me on FaceTime, and the surgeon comes up, and he says, um, he's stable at this point, and I think we need to go to the OR now. Um, 
if we're going to do this, then we need to go now before things change. Mm-hmm. So they took him to the OR. He was four hours old. Um, that was like a, I think, an eight-hour surgery for him. So, wow. Yeah. So they put in um, a BT shunt, which kind of reroutes the blood flow, and then they uh, redirected the pulmonary veins so that he would get some blood flow to his lungs. Um, so he did great through the surgery. Uh, all was all was good, and he did good through the night. Um, so Joey actually came back to Northside to be with me while I recovered, and then he was going to go back to Choa that next morning. And so uh, when he got up to go to Choa the next morning, he he FaceTimes me, and they're like, well, we've been battling blood pressure all night. So I knew, being medical, I'm like, okay, well, if they're battling blood pressure, something's about to happen. And Joey was just like, oh, it's, you know, it's fine. It's just blood pressure because he doesn't really know what's yeah. happening. So I, I say, okay, well, I got to go. So I hang up, and I immediately hit the call lot for, for, for my nurse. And she says, can I help you? And I said, I need to leave. And she was she comes in the room, and she was like, you're not even 24 hours post-C-section. And I said, I need to leave. I, I need some discharge paperwork. And, you know, like – I don't want to leave against medical advice, but I know that my baby is not doing well, and I can't be here if something were to happen to him mm-hmm. and him be there. And um, I said my husband would never, he would never be able to come here and tell me that something had happened to him. And so um, she says, okay, let me call the physician. And so um, my physician and I already had like a pretty close-knit relationship. It was a total God thing. I didn't know anybody in Atlanta because I work in Rome at Floyd, and so I didn't know anybody that delivered babies in Atlanta. And um, when the first time I met her, I knew that it was a total God thing that we had been put together. So um, she gets the discharge paperwork ready, and she comes into the room, and she says, we'll let you go, but you have to follow up on Monday. And I was like, whatever I have to do, like, I can't just sit here and do nothing, Mm -hmm. and so I called Joey, and I said, come pick me up, (laughs) and he was like, what? (laughs) He was like, are you kidding? And I said, no, I'm not kidding. I got the discharge paperwork, and I need you to come pick me up, so he comes, and he gets me, and he's very nervous because I am, like, less than 24 hours, a major abdominal surgery, and Mm. um, you can't walk. Yeah, I could not walk. I don't I, <laughs> imagine you couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. They carried me down in a wheelchair, and I got in the car, and then... Um, Look, I had my appendix removed one time, <laughs> and I couldn't walk for four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's just, you know, whatever. I felt like that whatever I had to do, I just I couldn't be in one place and him be in another and me not be with him. Yeah. Um, so we pull out of Northside, which is about 20... 21 minutes. 21 minutes away from Choa. And so um, we're like three minutes away from, like we just pulled out of Northside. We're like three minutes on the road and my phone rings. And it was the nurse practitioner at Choa. And she says, um, Miss Lewis Hudson has coded and he's went into cardiac arrest. We've done chest compressions and we've got him back and we're putting him on ECMO. Well, ECMO is it kind of just gives their heart, it's like a heart and lung bypass machine. It gives their heart and lungs rest. Okay. So it circles all of the blood out of their whole body into this machine, puts oxygen in it, and then recycles it back into their body. Okay. 
Um, so she says, we've got him back and we've put him on, we're putting him on ECMO. How far away are you? And I look at the GPS and I mean, traffic is terrible. So this is three, probably three o'clock, three 30 on a Friday afternoon Mm. in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. So we got hit by every red light, every school bus, like we're like 27 minutes away because traffic is so bad. Mm-hmm. And so I say, we're 27 minutes away. And she says, we'll just get here when you can and come straight up to the second floor. We'll have somebody meet you in the consultation room. So I hang up with her and I call our pastor, James. And um, he answers the phone and I say, I just need you to pray out loud right now. Like we are so weak and this is what's happened. And I just need you to, to pray out loud, get everybody that you can to be praying for us and for Hudson, because we don't really know what we're walking into when we get there. Um, so he does, he prays out loud. So, um, we get there and they meet us in the consultation room. We didn't know if they were going to tell us that Hudson had already passed away or if, you know, what, what we were going to be hearing when we got there. And yeah. so, um, so she pulls us into the consultation room. She was like, Oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's recovering well. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so she says, they're finishing up so you can see him. So that is another surgery. When they put the ECMO in, they actually mm-hmm. have to connect it to your heart. Okay. And so, um, so she was like, they're finishing up, but he's stable and he's doing okay and we'll get you to see him soon. <laughs> well, I had no medication, like no Tylenol, no nothing. <laughs> so I'm in so much pain. And um, so oh, I, gosh. I'm like, can we run to CVS? Do you think we have time to like go two blocks over to CVS so I can get some Tylenol? <laughs> She's like, please absolutely do that. Um, so we go and then we come back and he was ready and. When we got to him, he did not even look like the same baby that we had just, uh, which I never really got to see him as he left the OR because we knew it was such a high risk environment. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I never really, I they, um, since so she it, didn't, when he was born, they held him up and he screamed like a normal baby. Really? Yes. Yep. Yeah. We were scared. Wow. Like I can remember. So we got uh, to hear his voice. And we, I mean, he, he let it loose. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I remember uh, in every delivery before Hudson was born, in every delivery that I was involved in at, in labor and delivery, I would just be like, gosh, I hope, I hope I'm able to just hear him cry. And I prayed for that moment, which is, mm. it's, it's crazy because, you know, like after you've had two normal, healthy babies that have never even been to the NICU, um, that is, it's very devastating to have to pray a prayer like that. But I did, I, I prayed that we would at least get to hear him cry one time. And so they did, they held him up and I got to see him for just a second. And then they, um, I didn't get to see him again until I got to the, to Choa. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey would FaceTime me, of course, but it wasn't the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so when we got to him, he was, he was very swollen and, um, you could tell that he had been through a lot. Yeah. Um, so they told us all the things about ECMO, and they told us that there was an increased risk of like hemorrhaging, like uh, blood in the vein, in the brain, and like things like that. It's just a, you know, it's outweighing. Like you have to, you have to do this to save his life, but this comes along with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was on day two, and um, yeah. <laughs> So now you guys are there at Choa. Now, 
when you guys get to get to see him and you're 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 in a room with him or is he in like a is Hudson in like a thing or no I mean he's in like a um they have different size rooms depending on how long you're going to be there. So we were in one of the biggest rooms on the floor because we knew we would be there for a long time. Yeah. Um, so it's like a normal, normal size room. I mean, it's huge and he's just in like on like a little bed and he's just, you know, laying there and he's got all the IVs and um, of course the tubes with the ECMO circuit are coming out of his chest, but we kind of like kept him covered a little bit as mm-hmm. much as we could. Um, and so we, we were able to touch him and yeah. okay. you know, stuff like okay. that. We were able to touch him, kiss him, you know, talk to him and everything like that. So he was. It wow. Was, yeah. Now, at this point, now he's hooked up to the ECMO machine. And is there, what What are the doctors telling you guys at this point? Is it because, I mean, are they like, hey, there's there's a chance he's going to survive? Or, or what, what, I mean, I mean, it was pretty rocky. Um, I can remember that next morning when they came in, um, she, the the physician, we had the same physician for seven days, so this is day three. And so she comes in and she says, um, these are the risks of him being on ECMO. Um, he doesn't need to stay on it, you know, very long, and we just need to give his heart a break. So we're like, okay. She says, we're going to do a... Um, like an ultrasound of his head to see if there's any bleeding because, like I said, that was an increased risk. And so we're like, okay, you know, I didn't really think anything about it. Um, And so they come back a little later and they're like, he has a head bleed. And um, we thought it was subdermal, which is like outside of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so they did a CT scan, which um, (laughs) – <laughs> since he's connected to the ECMO is like really hard. Like they have to bring the whole machine to his room to do the CT. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do the CT and we found out it was actually on his brain. Um, so she says, okay, now we might have to have some tough conversations. We're not there yet. He's still stable. He's still doing okay. But, um, you know, in the next couple of days, if things progress and get a little worse, like we might have to have some tough conversations. So, Joey and I were just like every every moment we were just there. We were just like we would sleep for a little bit and then we would go and we would just be there because we didn't want to miss uh, any moment that yeah. we could get with him. Um, while we think about. Yeah, that's that's where that's where I'm like wondering or, or just trying to imagine what a. Um, what just a roller coaster ride that could have been or you know because it's like you're still clinging to this hope that (laughs) like okay he could improve but like when was the like when was the moment that you knew you were okay it's it's time now that we're it's time that we're gonna have to eventually say our goodbyes like because that's got to be a big trend. Is that a transitional moment? or? or? I mean, it definitely could have been for us. Um, I mean, they, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking back, and I remember that 
um, after she told us that about the head bleed, yeah, uh, the very next day she says he needs to come off ECMO. We don't know if his heart's ready for him to come off ECMO, so we're gonna uh, let you allow. We're gonna allow you know COVID. It's crazy, and the hospital's on lockdown, and they don't let anybody but the parents come in. Mm-hmm. And, and so she says we're gonna allow you to bring your family to see him. Um, just in case, you know, he doesn't make it off the ECMO and we want you to be able to bring your kids and let them, you know, see him in person. Okay. And so, um, we got to do that. We, uh, our kids came and, uh, some of our family got to come and, um, our pastors came, our pastor James and Nancy, our student pastor, she's one of my really good friends. So she came and, you know, they anointed HUD with oil and, and prayed over him and, um, we just still had this hope that whatever, whatever that the Lord was trying to do during this moment, like, I mean, it was definitely like a supernatural strength that I can't, I can't explain. I remember they would come in and they would say, well, this is the prognosis and this is what we're seeing. And I would be like, well, I'm just going to keep praying that whatever, you know, I didn't, I I wasn't oblivious. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that I was just ignoring it because that's not the way that, I felt um, it was just one of those moments where I was like, I don't want to make the decision to take him off all of the machines, but if I feel like that we're being led to that or I really just prayed, Lord, don't let me make that. Don't make me make that decision. That's going to be the hardest thing that I will ever have to do. Um, And I don't, I don't know how I would ever be able to make that decision. And mm-hmm. so um, we prayed that prayer for a lot, of, a long time, uh, several days. Mm-hmm. And so it was like he would get better and um, his heart would be fine. And then uh, his head bleed would get a little worse. Um, so they ended up taking him off ECMO and he... They had already prepared us like they even <laughs> this never happens in the cardiac intensive care, but um, the ECMO specialist came over to me and she says, "Have you held him?" And I said, "No, I have never got to hold him, and I didn't know that. You know, I I just assumed that wasn't an option." Yeah. And um, she says, "You hang on just a second. And so she comes back and she says, "Before the surgical team gets here, you're going to hold your baby." And so um, I'll never forget how I felt in that moment because I felt like I I felt like he needed that and I needed that. Um, just you know, a mother's love. And so mm-hmm. um, they it took probably a team of six or seven to hand him to me. Mm-hmm. But um, the surgical team waited outside his door. Yeah. So they had like it was probably seven or eight nurses came in. So the whole time we're there. You know, he's assigned, there's one nurse there, and she's there her whole shift. Mm -hmm. She doesn't ever leave. Um, One of his nurses actually fasted her whole shift, um, so she would never leave at all. And um, and then he had an ECMO nurse in there also, and they were there their whole shift. Um, So then during this, seven or eight of them came in. There was nurses laying in the floor, crawling (laughs) under the chairs, because he had... I mean, he was probably on 20, 25 different medications. So there was wires running everywhere. Yeah. Everything's hooked up to him. But they they literally did everything they had to do just to 
let her hold him. Because they were sure that he wouldn't make it out of that surgery. Yeah. I mean, they had, they didn't like come out and say like, we're, we don't, we don't have hope that he's gonna, you know, do well. But, um, I kind of got that vibe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, that they felt like he wasn't strong enough to make it from that. And so, um, our kids got to come back a second time, um, to see him right before they took him to surgery. Right um, before that, they got to come up there. Um, so, but they did, they called in the, the surgical team said, we'll be up in like 20 minutes or something. And they mm. ended up coming in like five minutes yeah. and the nurses, Oh no, y'all are going to have to wait. Mama's holding Wow. So the surgical team had to stand outside the door and yeah. wait because they were going to make sure she got to hold him. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. 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 So you had to, I mean, that's, that had to have been an, a powerful moment. You get to hold Hudson and, and then he goes immediately from you, goes into that surgery to remove him from the ECMO. And how how did that how how did that surgery turn out? I mean, he did great. Yep, he, he did. did good. Yep. He wow. Did great. Yeah. Okay. So his I, heart his heart did good. Everything did good. He was it. It was just uh. Everybody seemed very surprised that his heart was doing yeah as good as it was doing. Yeah, they definitely were like, we don't, we can't explain it. And I was like, well, I can, I can explain it. Mm-hmm. And then did they bring him back after the surgery? And I mean, what day are we at now? So we're on day four. Day four. Day four. Okay. So, uh, so yes, we got to be with him right after that uh, removal of the ECMO, and he already looked so so much better. Um, he wasn't as swollen, and um, he wasn't really retaining as much fluid as he had been mm-hmm. the, the previous days. Um, which is, that's really what they think caused him to code the first time to be put on ECMO was the flu, the fluid retention. He yeah. just, he couldn't get it off as fast as it was piling on. And so, um, it just caused his heart just to, you know, work too hard. And, um, so he was already looking so much better. And, um, so that was day four and he did great. And then day five, he did great. Um, day six, I mean, it was just like, okay, like we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting somewhere like this. It's, it's happening. You know, Mm -hmm. he's, he's getting better. He's, he's going to go home. You know, like we had all this, this, um, positive hope that, I mean, it's happening, you know, things are getting better. And then, um, See, we got a call on like day nine where he had coded again and they couldn't explain it. They didn't know why it happened. They thought that um, maybe he got hypotensive and he just. Was uh, that four o'clock in the morning? Yeah. So um, that was, yeah, it was at four o'clock in the morning. And our kids had actually came to spend the night with us uh, for the weekend. So. They were there, and so I answered the call. And any time that my phone would ring, I just I knew that it was not a good, not a good thing because if they're calling, something's wrong. Yeah. And so um, my because we told them when we were when we would leave, like we'd stay there till twelve one o'clock in the morning, stay with them. And when we'd leave, she'd be like, "I'll call you with updates." And I was like, "No, 
don't call no, us. Don't call me unless yeah. something, something is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and right. that and that it was very hard because uh, you know we wanted to be there at all times. Yeah. And I mean, they give you the option to sleep in his room, but one of the first nights that we were there, one of the nurses says, um, "You really have to go get some rest because if there comes a time where you need to be not exhausted." You need to be rested up, mm-hmm. you know, like if things get rocky and you really can't leave, like you, while he's stable and he's good, he's in good hands, you know, you need to go get some rest. And like I said, the Ronald McDonald house was only a block away. Mm-hmm. So like we could get there quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so they called us at four, it was like four thirty in the morning and, um, they were like, we don't know, we've got him back and you know, he's, he's okay now, um. But we don't really, we can't really explain what happened, and we we're not sure if it'll happen again. Um, so they were doing another echocardiogram and looking at his heart, making sure all of, there wasn't like a clot in the BT shunt, you know, pr- stopping the blood flow and things like that. So uh, since our kids were there, we had to call somebody to come to Atlanta to pick them up, um, and they were so upset, like they don't, they didn't understand what was happening, mm-hmm. you know, like they're just like you know, we're being tossed back and forth. And yeah. so, um, so we got, I went straight over there. As soon as I hung up, I went straight over there and Joey stayed with the kids. And so, um, when I got there, he was just looking at me like, I mean, I just needed some attention. Like, wow. I mean, he was, he had this look on his face, like, well, I'm glad that you came, you know, like Cause I mean, at this point he was opening his eyes. And he would, you know, you'd talk to him and he'd open his eyes. Wow. Yeah. And we, like, we would, you know, I would touch him and he would respond and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, he was full, he was fully aware that, that we were there and, you know, like, they had him pretty sedated, but, um, you know, like, I, I could tell that he understood, like, that's my mama, you know. Um, so yeah, when I got there, I was like, what happened? And so she's telling me, and as soon as I start talking, he just opens his eyes and looks at me and he's like, I mean, I just needed some attention. Uh, (laughs) Wow. So after, after that, I mean, was it, was it still up and down or? So that's. I mean, it was definitely a roller coaster, you know, like, I mean, he, like I said earlier, he would be fine from a cardiac standpoint, but that head bleed would get a little bigger and then that head bleed would get stable. And Mm -hmm. then it was like he coded, you know, just randomly. And so, um, so after that, he was having multiple, like he was having seizures like every like six minutes, sometimes less than that. Yeah. Because of the head bleed. So they had him on a ton of different seizure wow. medications um with before he got taken off ecmo uh james our pastor had came and was praying over him and while he was praying over him he had a three minute long seizure and so that was pretty uh pretty huge so we walked downstairs to get another part of our family to come up to see him because they were all there at the same time and um when we came back, she says, I just got a call that he had a three-minute seizure just now. And uh, I was like, that had to be during the time that we were here and James was praying over him. And she says, I mean, yeah, it was pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt like, you know, that was just kind of like a, 
maybe an extra push for all of the because right after that is when he got taken off ECMO and he did so good. But mm-hmm. um, so after uh, he coded on day nine, um, it, he was good for a couple more days, and then they come in. Um, so we had got our kids back because it's Thanksgiving week and. You know, they wanted to spend some time with us, and they're out of school. And so I told Joey, I was like, you know, whatever happens, like, we we can't just, like, we're going to have to keep taking turns. Like, I'll go sit at the hospital, and you stay with them, and then we'll swap. And mm-hmm. I'll take the morning because I was, I always like to be there when they did morning rounds, when they told, like, all the things um, about his condition and stuff because I understood it more than Joey did. So they did rounds twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. Um, the morning rounds were a little bit more, um, I guess, important um, because that would that kind of told like what, what was their do. plan for the day. Yeah, yeah. You know. So I always like to be there in the morning for that, and so uh, we were taking we were taking shifts, and so Joey would be with the kids, and then we would swap around lunch, and then I I would come be with them for a couple hours, and then we would swap again. Um, so I was there by myself and, um, this is on day 13 now. So I was there by myself. And so, um, the neurologist comes in and she says, um, I don't know if anybody's told you this, but his head bleed has gotten a lot worse Mm. and it had been stable for like seven days. We were trying to get the seizures under control to where he was having like less than one an hour, but, um, the head bleed had been for the most part, it was stable and it had remained unchanged. And so she says overnight, like his head bleed has just gotten significantly worse. And so I'm like, um, well, what does this mean? And so she she tells me that, you know, she's not really sure what it means, but they're going to continue to run some tests. And um, so his kidneys uh, were working. And I I mean, I knew this because, you know, having a medical background, but the kidneys and the heart and all of all of that is closely connected. So um, his kidneys worked and, you know, he would pee. But they weren't keeping the fluid off as much as they needed to. Mm-hmm. So they needed, he had been on dialysis for a couple of days just because he was on dialysis when he was on the ECMO machine. And then they were just giving it to him, you know, just as a, like prophylactically, um, so that he wouldn't retain much flu- much more fluid than he should. Um, so they had came in on, right before the neurologist came in, they came in and told me that they wanted to put in a PD cath for dialysis, which I was fine with because I knew that he needed that and, um, he didn't need to go backwards, you know, like Mm -hmm. we needed to keep moving in the right direction. And so we thought that that would be the next best thing, um, moving in the right direction. And so they came in, told me that, and then the neurologist comes in, she's like, I'm not really sure what this will entail, but, um, we're going to continue to run a couple more tests and, you know, we'll get back to you later. So um, when they come to me and they're ready to take him to the to the emergency r- or to the operating room to put in this PD catheter to, for dialysis, um, I just remember looking down at him and I was like, he just looks so tired. Mm. You know, he is just, I feel like the last 13 days he's just fought so hard and he just, he looks so tired. And so, um, 
Joey picked me up and they took HUD to surgery and, you know, they told us that they would call us when he was back in the room and that we could come, you know, right back up. And so, um, we left and, uh, so he doesn't leave the room for surgery. They do the surgery in that room. Okay. So he never leaves the room. They, they always come to him to do it inside the room. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so Joey had picked me up and we were trying to, you know, we're not familiar with Atlanta at all. <laughs> so Neither our, am I. So, uh, so our kids wanted Zaxby's because, you know, that's like a landmark in Rockmart. <laughs> Terrible choice. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, yeah. where is the closest Zaxby's? Like these kids are freaking out in the backseat because they want Zaxby's. And so, um, so we're, you know, trying to find the closest Zaxby's and it was like, what, 20 minutes away from the hospital? 11. Okay, well, it felt like 20. <laughs> Joey remembers everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, he really does. Yeah. Um, so we're, we were in the drive-thru at Zaxby's, and so I'm telling Joey all of the things and all of the things that they had just came and put on me. And and um, so I just I remember us looking at each other and just crying. And, you know, we're like, I don't want him to suffer, but I don't want to have to make the decision that, you know, to take him off of all the things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just remember looking at him and thinking that is going to be the hardest thing. That's that's like one of the kids in the back seat, you know, telling him, well, we'll just stop all care and, you know, I mean, this is our baby. Yeah, you know, and I it, guess, you know, they had, you know, had a pretty serious conversation with Haley about it before going into the surgery and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was she, pretty... It was, it was pretty deep, the things that um, she pretty much told me that she didn't feel like with a head bleed like what HUD had, um, that he would ever be normal. Um, she felt like that he would have cerebral palsy and and all of these things, and so she pretty much went very in-depth and, I mean, crushed me. And I was, I was alone there. Uh, Joey wasn't there to hear it, and so... You know, then I have to come back and tell him all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so we're both just, like, lost at this point. Like, what do we do? What? How How do we move forward knowing all of these things? Um, because this is, this is very heavy and it's serious. You know, like, it's not just, oh, well, you know, if, if he gets better. Yeah, let's just hold tight and see what happens. Yes, yeah. like, I mean, it's serious at this point. Like, we know, like, we don't really know what's next. Yeah. Um, so, it's not really, we'll cross that when we get there because we're there. That's right, yeah. I mean, we're there. Like, we're we're as deep as we can go at this point. And so, um, uh, so she told me all those things, and me and Joey were in the car, and we're, you know, th- we had brought the kids' iPads. I texted Joey, and I was like, bring the iPads because we need some time to talk and I need to be able to tell you these things without them listening. You know, like our eight year old, she listens to everything and she thinks that she knows the answers to all of the things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so they're in the backseat and they're, they're playing a game. And, um, so me and Joey, we're just, you know, distraught over here. Like we're, we're like, what do we do? And I remember in that moment, I just prayed like, Lord, please don't let me make have to make that decision yeah um that that will be the decision that breaks me if i have to make the decision to um Mm. to remove all care from him and And so at the same time that she's praying that i'm doing the same thing i can't make this decision you know 
you know, let your will be done in this moment, you know, whatever it may be, you know, just give me the strength of whichever one it is, but, but I can't make that decision and I'm not going to be able to. And mm. neither of us knew, like, I didn't know he was praying that prayer and he didn't know I was praying the same thing. I mean, we're just, you know, we're at a loss at this point. We're like, where do we go from here and how do we proceed with this? And I mean, so we were in this drive through, it felt like probably an hour. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it was not an hour, but it did. It feel did feel like, like it. it. Well, I bet it, it did. Is, you know, she's telling me all this, and then I remember I ordered the kids food, and I didn't even order us anything except for something to drink. And you know, from the so from the time you order to the windows, probably like four cars. So I know after we, after we ordered was when it was just quiet because she had already told us told me all that that they said. So we're sitting there, you know, just. I, I guess both of us was praying that prayer, you know, just trying to figure out where we're going to go from this point and, you know, what's the best thing to do in this or that. I felt like we were at a standstill. I felt like not really like the Lord had left us, but I felt like we were at this direction and I'm like, where, like, what are we supposed to do now? Yeah. Like I, we've put all this faith and this trust in your plan and I feel like I'm just broken at this point like I don't really know what is next or what we're supposed to do after this and I I think Joey pretty much felt the exact same way yeah uh, I mean it was just I felt like that was all the way up to this point you know was, I have that hope of it just but at this point I have you know, not you lose your hope but you kind of do because you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You don't, you know, they just laid all this heavy stuff on you. All of the stuff that she told me pretty much was just like, okay, I don't know how we proceed after this. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't know what this means for us or for him or, um, I, I don't know. I just, it was, it was a very heavy conversation that we had to have there that she had with me and, um, you know, she just, she basically was like, I know that, you know, in medical terms, what I'm, what I'm talking about right mm-hmm. now. And she's like, let me show you the scan. And so she takes me over to the computer and she pulls up his scan and she shows it to me. And she was like, this is what it looked like, you know, a couple of days ago. And this is what it looks like now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, I, I was, I was at a standstill. Like I had. I had nothing else. I, I didn't know how I was going to take another step after that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, At that moment was both really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, again, I cannot not even imagine. And, well, my, I mean, the question in my mind is how did that, how did, how does that resolve? I mean, what, 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 how, how does that situation resolve? I mean, because I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah. don't make me make this decision. I can't, not even don't make me make this decision. I can't make this decision. Right. Uh, so, yes. I, I mean, how does that resolve? Um, so, we were still in the drive-thru at this point. And um, Joey, like he said, he had ordered the kids some food. And we're at the window and my phone rings. So, we had been gone for a Probably like 45 minutes at this point. But I work, you know, I work in surgery. So I know like it takes a, it's a long time to prep a patient before you make an incision. So it wasn't 
a surprise to me that it was taking a long time. Um, so my phone rings and I'm like, well, this is them. They're probably telling us that they're done. So, um, I answer the phone and she's like, Miss Lewis Hudson's not doing well and I need you to get here as soon as you can. So I look at Joey and he's handing his card out the window and I'm like, drive as fast as you can. <laughs> I was like, we have to go. We have to We have to go now. So he literally, like, the window is open. The lady's about to take his card and he just floors it. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he floored it away from the drive-thru. And so. you guys got to... Kids in the back seat. The kids are in the back seat. Yep. So I didn't think about that the first time I was on the phone with her when she said Hudson's not doing well. I was just like, I'll be there in a second. And so I hang, you know, I hung up. And so I look at Joey and I'm like, our kids are in the car. What are we going to do with our kids? Mm-hmm. You know, because COVID and they can't come in. And so uh, I call her back and I was like, we have our kids. And she's like, bring them in, park at the front and, you know, like just comes straight up. So I look at Joey and I'm like, this is it, Joey. This is this is not good. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever we're about to walk into. Like I'm trying to prepare him because I know, you know, like I have to I have to be the one to tell families sometimes, you know, that their loved ones are, are not gonna make it or you know, so I can tell by the tone of her voice. And so I'm I'm looking at Joey trying to protect him and trying to, you know, give him this insight on what is happening. Yeah. I don't really know for sure, but I just know that her words and how it lines up with what I do. Um, So I'm like, this is not good. It's not good at all. And so um, she calls us back right before we got there. And she's like, how far away are you? Actually, it was his. So we had the, we had the same physician for eight days. And then when she went off, I I told her, I was like, what am I going to do without you? You know, like you've been, you've been our rock through this, you know, as, as his physician and his advocate. And, you know, um, what am I going to do without you? She says, if anything happens, you know, I'll be stalking his chart. And if anything happens, I'll be there. And so I pick up the phone. We're, you know, a couple of blocks away from the hospital. And she says, Haley, this is, um, this is Dr. Clark. And I was like, this is not good. She says, how far away are you? And I said, we're about to be there. And she says, okay, get here as soon as you can. And so I just, I look over at Joey and we're both just hysterical at this point because we know in our hearts, you know, what's happening, but we've still got to ref- we've got to face this reality mm-hmm. that we're about to walk into. And um, so we get to the doors and um, some, somebody meets us to take our kids. They're going to take them into this room and, and color with them. And, um, then they meet us in the hall. And I was like, this is, this is not good. And, um, so as we make our way to HUD's room where they were. So um, when these two doors open, you have to turn right. And HUD's room is at the very end. So we look down the whole hall, and you see just a bunch of people standing down there mm-hmm. at his room. Yeah. And so now we've got to walk. Feels like ten miles. Yes, it felt like the long. And just so heavy, because you don't know exactly. You, f- you feel like you know what they're going to say, but you don't know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was heavy. Just that walk down that hall. I guess I just remember the smaller things. 
and Haley remembers all the important things, but I just remember every detail of everything from parking the car to going up the elevator to walking down that hall. It's probably like so time the, slowed down, right? Like, yes. Yes. So when we get to the end of the hall, um, his the doctor that was with us for eight days, she goes to put a surgical hat on me, and she's like, um, you know, he's coded again. And we've been doing compressions for 20 minutes. And she's like, we need to stop. Mm-hmm. And she, she's putting the hat on me for me to go in to see, you know, our newborn baby, you know, laid open on a table in a surgical field. And I said, I can't go in there. And she says, we need to stop. She says, you know, he, he's not going to come back. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I just remember in that moment, like, I felt like my entire world had just came crumbling down all at once. Like, you know, like, I kind of knew what was happening from the car ride and then from her on the phone. And But, I mean, it was just the the heaviness of it. It was just crumbling. And so um, I say, uh, okay. You know, like, I don't, I felt like I was not really in my body at that moment. You know, like, yeah. I was there, but I wasn't really there. So, she says, do you want to come in? And I was like, I can't go in there. You know, like, I, I do I do surgery every day of my life. And, and I, I can't go in there and see him laying like that and remember him like that. Yeah. Um. So, she says, okay. So, they finished doing what they were doing. They close him up. And so, me and Joey are just sitting in the hall. Um, they close the whole unit down for this, uh, for these surgeries. Um, they don't let anybody in or anybody out just because, you know, like it, it's a sterile, they have to turn a, a regular room into a sterile field. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was nobody moving around, nobody walking. And I just remember us sitting there and I was like, Joey, we need to call somebody. Like our kids are here. What are we going to do with our kids? Mm-hmm. And, and how, how do we move forward? And Joey's like, I don't want to call anybody. And I was like, Joey, we have to call somebody, (laughs) you know. So my first call was James. Um, I called James, and I say, this is what's happened, and we need you. Um, And he says, "Uh, I'm tied up, but I'll be there in a minute. Like, you know, like, I'll come. I'll Mm -hmm. I'll come as soon as I can. And so uh, then we called, you know, our family uh, and told them, and so – when we finally got into Hudson, uh, I'll never forget how peaceful he looked. It was just like a, like he was like, I'm whole and I'm healed and mm-hmm. and here I am and, you know, I'm not suffering anymore. And I think that for me was just the closure that I needed for it to be, you know, like, no, it's not easy, but um, none of it is easy, but that is what I needed to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Joey? Yeah, I mean, everything really just slowed down. I remember, I mean, Haley was going through everything so fast, and I, I just, I felt like I couldn't keep up, and I was just like, slow down, just stop, just, you know, but. So it was just hard. I mean, it's hard to. It was hard to do it. It was hard to do any of it. Um, it was really hard to walk into the room because you didn't want the truth. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, the kids was there with us, but, you know, they were 
somewhere we didn't know where the kids was at which we just know that you know the the child care came and got them <laughs> yeah and, and the problem with that is like i said uh, our eight-year-old is very nosy she has to know everything that's happening so when she saw how upset we were in the car and how we're like flying to the hospital as fast as we can she's like hey i was hungry you know like you just drove off from zaxby's and you yeah, know, they like, didn't get their Zaxby's. And I was like, Ellie, we have to get to Hudson as soon as we can. You know, like, we, we'll go back and get Zaxby's later. And so she knew immediately because we had kind of, you know, tried to have the conversations to prepare her. So she knew immediately that mm-hmm. something was wrong. Um, and so our our four-year-old, he didn't really – he's just, you know, he's four. Yeah, yeah. The only thing he cares about was chicken nuggets at Saxby's. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he didn't really know what was happening. So um, so she I, – I was concerned. I was like, what are we – what are we going to do with them, you know? Um, and I knew that um, that was going to be a very heavy moment for them because now they now they have seen me go through a whole pregnancy and they've met their brother and mm-hmm. they've you know they've got to come and be with him and take pictures with him and pray with him and read to him and you know they know that there's this real baby here and now he's just gone mm-hmm. and so for I I was crushed but I was crushed because I was like now we have to tell our our kids yeah you know, um, now we have to, we have to bring them in and, and tell them. Um, so we took a, we took a while, just the two of us in the room with HUD and then, um, the child specialist that had our other kids came in and she says, the little boy is fine, but the little girl is asking a lot of questions and I'm not really sure how to answer them. Mm -hmm. So that was probably like an hour and a half later. And so, you know, me and Joe are just looking at each other and we're like, what do we do? You know, do we bring them in, let them see him, let them hold, let them hold him and let them really grieve too? Or do we shield them from it and um, just hope that one day they don't really ask questions as why, you know, why didn't you let us come in? Um, And so we, we made the decision to, for, for the child life specialist to bring them to the room. And so um, they came in, and so Joey told Joey had to tell them before they came in that HUD had went to heaven. And so um, that was a hard conversation that we had to have. And um, they came in, and they, they did get to hold him. And, and really, um, I'm glad that they have those memories of being able to, mm-hmm. to have – to have him and hold him and and love on him um so they got to experience that with us wow dang joey you tougher than i thought you were brother (laughs) i could not i mean just what a yeah what a tough conversation to have in the hallway i mean yeah good it was was hard with the kids because yeah they had been involved but we're scared because you don't want to you know, you got to think about them too. You've, is it going to traumatize them? Is yeah any of this going to affect them in a in a bad negative way? Or so you're holding that weight, but at the same time they had been involved the whole time. So you don't want to just push them away and mm-hmm. and just make them feel like they're like all of our focus is on Hudson. Mm-hmm. You know, but we were trying to keep healthy boundaries of 
what to expose them to, what not to expose them to. So, like, anytime we sent them pictures, we would cover HUD so that you couldn't really see, you know, like, all the wires and things. Yeah. You could only see his face. And um, I don't know. It's just healthy. How do we keep the healthy boundaries to not destroy them but still keep them involved? And that was a really, a really hard balance. Yes. Too. Yeah. You talk about cross the bridge when you get there you essentially have a lot of bridges you have to cross immediately right big bridges right a lot of big decisions and they have to happen right then like you have to deal with all that right right, right at that moment well i just yeah. i just can't imagine um how many well i i have no no comprehension of how many families with children have to go through and make similar decisions Every single day. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. There's there's a, there's no handbook for that. Every scenario is different, but we have uh, what what a what a valuable in a way testimony and knowledge that you guys possess of being through that. And I can't imagine how how the 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 opportunity there is. For you to help in some way, shape, or form, and that's that's what I want to I want to ask you guys what what has come out of of this experience, and what has come out of what what is that now that there's been what what has there been now? This has been a year. Was it two years now? Almost a year. Almost a year. So okay, wow. Um, what has the last year been been like? I mean what is how how have things changed what is the mission now that joey was talking about like so um you know you always think like that'll never be me because i felt that way yeah i mean like our other two kids are healthy and um we don't have a history of any type of congenital heart defects in our family at all um it's not like a genetic thing Mm -hmm. it's literally one in a hundred pregnancies um happen and it just shows up randomly wow um it is extremely under researched and underfunded and so um we knew pretty much immediately um if you have to live with something you know if you have to go through something like what we've went through um, we knew pretty much immediately that we didn't want to just bottle it inside and not share, not um, do something. Well, praise with the, the Lord! Pain. Thank, thank goodness you guys, yeah, right, decided not to do that. Yeah, uh, I feel like it can it can get really dangerous if you if somebody does stuff like that, you know, like with your emotions and things like that. Yeah, it can get very dangerous. So um, we knew pretty much immediately that we what I didn't know what we were gonna do, but I knew we wanted to do something to make a difference, um, just because of everything that we went through and all of the ways that we were helped um, along the way. Um, I knew that, you know, pretty much. I told Joey, like, January, uh, we started a fast, and I had already had this laid on my heart, but we started a fast with our, a corporate fast with our church, and so I told Joey about about midway through the fast, I said, um, I think I want to start a nonprofit, and he was like, okay, what does that do? <laughs> yeah. 
Good question. Maybe you can explain to me. (laughs) So I start telling him all of these ways that I feel like this vision has been laid out before me. And he was like, all right, I'm on board. And I didn't really feel like he was serious at first, but you just have to know Joey to know how (laughs) chill he is. Like he just along for the ride pretty much. And so um, while we're fasting, you know, I say, I'm serious, Joey. Like, I really I really want to do this. And I really feel like this is the direction that we're being led. And um, so he says, all right, well, I'll start praying too. So um, he started praying about it. And then he comes back to me a couple of days later, and he was like, okay, I'm on board. Like, whatever you think that you want to do, like, we'll do it. And so um, – that is a very lengthy process. Yeah. <laughs> a very lengthy process. And so um, I had this vision, and uh, we just kept praying about it, and all of the doors just opened. And so we decided to start HUD's Heart, which is a nonprofit for um, congenital heart defect families. So basically, um, we have donated to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Eggleston Kids at Heart program several times since Hudson has has passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, We did a fundraiser during Heart Week, and uh, we were able to sell T-shirts with Hud's Heart logo on it. Um, And we donated, like, I think I went to Sam's and spent, like, $600 on snacks and stuff for their snack cart. Um, So we were able to donate all of that because there were, you know, certain times during our, our stay there that we didn't feel comfortable leaving the floor or walking, you know, to get something to eat. But we were weak and we, you know, Joey over here, he struggles with his sugar. So <laughs> so he's like about to pass out. And I'm like, you need some peanut butter. Mm-hmm. You know, like you need some crackers or, you know, something like that. And so you can walk to the end of the hall and they have a cart there. And it's um, strictly for inpatient families and has everything that you can think of on it. Uh, all of the snacks, drinks, um, toiletries. I love one of the the your your phrases. Uh, all of the things. <laughs> I say that a lot. All you have to say is it has yeah. all of the things. It does. It. it has all of the things. Okay. All of the. So yeah. So anything you need. So <laughs> you're thinking back to okay, what what when we were there? Yeah. What was it that? like stood out to us that yes yeah what did we struggle with because we knew we were going to be there for a long time Mm -hmm. and so uh what were what were things that helped us along the way that we can make a difference and help others so um so that kids at heart program is one of our big pinpoints because they're also the ones that came in and and got ellie and holston and took them to do crafts and um, all that stuff is donations like they have this they brought this bag um, both times that our kids came to see HUD while he was still alive, um, they brought him a bag. It had crayons, coloring books. It had a it had a book that we could read to them that kind of um, shared from a child's perspective on how to grieve and what was going to happen, you know, like mm. things like that. And wow. so all of those things are donations. Um, mm. And so they don't have any other way to get funding through the hospital. And so that was that was really put hard on me um, whenever we decided to launch this nonprofit was that 
that program specifically. But not only that, but also um, just the other families that are there. Um, and I'll let Joey share pretty much like his experience as, you know, we're walking down the hall and seeing all the all the different people. So you guys have been back? I've been back. Okay. I haven't been back yet. Okay. Um, But just the other side of it, like she was saying, was, you know, the families there that are, that are you know, have their, their kids there going through, you know, similar things that HUD was going through. Um, I, Like I said, our HUD's room was at the very end of the hall. So every day we walked down the hall, um, and, you know, you just – you see the other families there, or or it's, a lot of times it's just the kids there. There's nobody there with them. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, some days you may see, you know, you know, the mom of one there that morning and then the father there that afternoon because, you know, they have jobs. They have, you know, they got to pay their bills. And they've got to do what they've got to do. But, you know, you look at those kids, like I remember a baby crying, and there's nobody in the room with the baby and the nurse, you know, she's filling out her paperwork on the computer medicine. Maybe she just gave her or something like that. So she's not able to go and do something right then. Yeah. There's nobody in there. And, you know, some of these kids are, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old in there and there's nobody there with them. So imagine how scared they are. And it's probably not because the parents don't want to be there. They might not be able to be there at that moment i mean yeah. because that would have easily been us you know like i only had um i'm, I'm so thankful for my job and my co-workers but uh, through my job i only had 12 weeks maternity paid leave so i mean for us to be able to keep the lights on and and keep our house and not mm-hmm. lose it and our cars and you know, like, I was going to have to go back to work. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Or, you know, I worked three days a week, but I didn't know how we would commute back and forth to Atlanta. Um, it's like 57 minutes from our house to Choa. Yeah. And so um, most of those families just have to make that sacrifice of, you know, like, we knew HUD was going to be there for six months and, you know, I knew after those 12 weeks, I was going to have to make a decision. You know, I, I either go back to my job where I carry our insurance and we pay for our house or I stay with HUD and we live in the Ronald McDonald house for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you really can't do that. But um, but in all seriousness, you know, like those, that's the support that's lacking in those areas is what really drove us to launch HUD's Heart. Um just because that was us and, you know, we were going to have to make a choice to, you know, quit our jobs or go back to work and leave our, you know, 12 week old baby there. And, um, it's not an easy, not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you too, Joey, because I know you went out and ran 13 miles, correct? I did. Um, where, where, what drove you to do that? What what was that? What was that like? And I got to ask you about that because I thought it was really special, and uh, I got to hear about it. And I'm a runner. Well, I'm not a runner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which made it that much more special that At you all. went out and ran 13 miles <laughs> in not not a, not an easy place. Yeah, I um I actually just um you know I 
talked to Blake and finally, you know, I asked Blake to lunch one day. I was like, just, you know, meet me and let's have lunch and just catch up on some stuff. And, you know, I don't, I guess coming from a man side of things, it's hard for us to talk about stuff because um, we don't want to seem vulnerable or weak or, or stuff like that. So it's, you know, so I asked him lunch, you know, and I got talking to him and, you know, I kind of, you know, we had already had the idea of Hood's heart and kind of laid that on their table for him. And, and I told, I was honest with Blake, you know, I was like, I don't talk about it. I, I hide from it a lot. You know, if somebody brings it up, I'll, I'll hit a couple seconds on it, but then I'm off to something else to fill my head. You know, the same thing I was doing before, just stay busy and keep my mind busy and, you know, just try to move on and, and, um, uh, really looking back is doing all the wrong things. Um, but I had, you know, just that conversation with Blake and, you know, HUD was with us for 13 days. Um, he fought hard for 13 days and, uh, Blake looked at me and said, let's go run 13 miles. I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, run. I can't even run 13 feet. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, so he, he kind of, he left it alone there for a couple minutes. We talked about some other stuff and then he said, let me know if you want to run 13 miles for real. And, you know, we can set it up and do some different things or, you know, try to, you know, he kind of broke it down to, you know, what running does for him when he runs and stuff like that. And so he was like, we can go Saturday. And this was like on a Monday or something, maybe a Tuesday in February. So you had plenty of time to train. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll let you know. <laughs> so I came home and I told Haley, he said, he wants me to run 13 miles. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I texted him and I said, all right, let's do it. And, uh, I think Thursday, Haley said, are you not going to, like, go try to run or anything? I'm like, too late now. Too late now. <laughs> if I go run today, I'm going to be sore and won't be able to do much. And uh, But I think uh, the way, you know, Blake was very helpful through that. Uh, I remember getting out of the truck, and um, I said something to him. And he said, all right, when we run, we ain't talking about work. We ain't talking about 307. We ain't talking about nothing. But we're gonna talk about HUD and you just you just say what you wanna say and you know, if you don't wanna say nothing at all, we'll just run in silence. And um so we we ended up just breaking it down and uh every mile we went, I spent that mile talking about that day. So the first day we you know, the first mile we talked about the first day all the way to the very end and uh you know, it kinda opened me up a little bit to just get it off my chest to something that I haven't done this whole time and you know, from November to February, I might have spent 10 minutes talking about it to somebody. Um, but, you know, you know, God's purpose is, you know, he wants the story out there. He wants us to, you know, we got to use, you know, HUD's name and his story to, you know, help somebody else. Um, and so it was, it was big on me to be able to open up and talk about it and, uh, Blake just figured out a way to get me to talk about it. Mm. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I look back in those running those 13 miles, it, I see it really helped me. It, it almost, um, I look at it as it just broke me down and my body was tore up. My mind was tore up. 
and um, but it just broke it down so that I could uh, I could work on healing physically and mentally. So, I mean, looking back, it, I see it. It really helped me because after that, I mean, I talk about it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody says something, I'll talk about it or, you know, whatever. I probably still will cry, but I'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, brother. Man. Joey actually fractured his foot on that run. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, my, I had a water bag, the little backpack ones, and it yeah. wouldn't give me any water. Couldn't figure out why it wouldn't give me water. <laughs> but I never told Blake. <laughs> no, I never heard it. That was a special time, though, man. That was a, a big honor for me to to go out there and do that with you, you know. And I know you probably shared a lot of things with me that, that nobody's heard other than other than Haley, and so it was just uh, really special. I'm proud that you let me do that with you and that you most of all did it for yourself, you know. Yeah, it's helped. I mean, I'm very glad that I did it. And uh, so, I mean, it was it was rough, but it was, it was well worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what is uh, – what's going on now with HUD Hart? Hud's heart. So, um, we are about to have our first big event as a nonprofit on Hud's birthday, or around Hud's birthday. It'll be um, on November the 12th. We're going to do a 5K in Hud's honor um, for his first birthday. So, that'll be our first big event um, that we showcase for Hud's heart. Um, All of the funds from that, we're going to donate to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta to the Kids at Heart program, and also um, to the inpatient families because it'll be right there at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we knew at Christmas last year that we would be inpatient, and we were kind of like, what are we going to do? You know, like, we're going to have to celebrate Christmas in this hospital room. Um, and a lot of people do. Like, we would walk through the halls, and they had we had put a little tree in Hutch room. Other people had trees in their room. And, I mean, it's a tough reality when you walk those halls and you think about the magic of Christmas and then you think about, well, you're you're at the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, there ain't nothing magic about that. <laughs> and so um, we're going to donate um, different things to the people that are inpatient to make it a little little less unbearable at mm-hmm. Christmas um, and, and through the holidays. Where's that going to be, the 5K? Um, so we're going to run the Silver Comet Trail in Rockmart. We're going to start at Nathan Dean, and it's a really peaceful run. Um, it'll be down through the park and then we'll do like a loop a big loop to come back um it's going to be a color run so it's going to be a lot of fun what um where is there a website or yeah there is a website so you can go to hudsheart.com and okay. uh, there's a register tab on there it takes you straight to the race website you can register from there you can donate from there um all of the th- you can read about our story and kind of our mission and what really pushes us behind Hud's heart there. Um, yeah. And so you guys are actually buying the, the gifts and things to bring down there? Yes. That's cool. So, yeah. so you're uh, not just donating the money. Oh, no, You're no, picking no. out. Yeah. And that's cool. We're, uh, we're going to let our kids be a be a part of that and kind of, you know, go and and just do something special yeah. in Hud's memory uh, for his birthday. And so um, that's one of the things that I feel like we – have been called to do through this whole thing is just minister to other families who were in the same, the same boat that we were. We know how hard it is. So 
Yeah. Yeah, and I just have to, on, on that, like, it's, I don't know that it wouldn't be unbearable without faith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we that's that one of all the biggest the things that we, you know, we say all the time is, you know, going through this when we first found out, all the way from the time we found out, Haley's on Facebook and and uh, Instagram and all that, and um, she got in some groups and stuff like that. And I did a lot of research on different, um, different cardiac defects and different families and how they coped with things and um, – one day I felt like the Lord was just like, you should share your story. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't, I went to Rockmore High School. I don't know if you know me, but uh, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. I went to Paulding <laughs> County High School. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so. You pulled a Moses on him, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. So, um, that just kept getting pressed on me, and so uh, social media is a is a huge thing. And so I think during the time that uh, HUD was inpatient, at one point I think we had like thirty five hundred shares on one of my posts, um, and we had so many people praying for HUD um, during that time. So we're really excited to see how big HUD's heart can get, and not just for you know, those families, but for the glory of God, and we want to glorify him through this pain and, you know, let him use it for for the purpose of, you know, Hud's life had a lot of purpose, and mm-hmm. we were only seeing a glimpse of that at this moment. Um, but I know just through what we've experienced and, you know, different people coming to me, and um, Hud's nurse, she was one of the biggest ones. Uh, she called me after Hud passed away, and she they would always fight over hud and and i was like i don't understand why they're fighting over caring for him because in my neck of the woods we call this a train wreck <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's on so many different things and i mean it's like moment to moment sometimes um and so i they were saying well i'm going to care for him tomorrow and and i was like why are y'all fighting over him and they were they told us you know well, we just love to be around you guys like we've never seen this it's it's easy to get caught up in um, when you're in the cardiac intensive care, like people who are mourning and and not really uh, trusting God for whatever whatever He's trying to do and what He's trying to show. Um, and so they felt like the room was just full of peace, and um, they hardly ever see that. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, after Hud passed away, his nurse, his, one of his primary nurses, called me and she was talking to me and uh, she says, "You know, I'm sorry I couldn't be there on the on the day that Hud passed away. If I would have been, if I would have known, I would have came." And uh, she says, "I want you to tell your pastor that he changed my life. You know, like and and you and Joey, y'all have y'all have changed me forever, and you you'll change the way that I." Um, experience things now and the outlook that I have on life because we learned pretty early on that uh, I think probably like on day three she starts asking us questions you know because I've got the worship music going 24-7 in HUD's room and and um, you know like when church when on Sundays you know I would turn on church and we would listen to to James um, preach and there was one time that they had FaceTimed us at the altar and and we put the phone on HUD and they, you know, somebody stood in 
and they anointed somebody at the church, but I had the phone on FaceTime on HUD, and so they were praying over HUD, and so me and Joey are at the bed, and we're crying, and she's in the background. She's crying, and it's just a, a moment that you just don't really forget, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, she told us, she told me later that we had changed her life in so many ways, and I was like, well, that's that's HUD's purpose. You know, that's, um, and I don't really know what all the, big things entail but i know that something bigger is going to happen it's going to come from his story you know i think there's a whole conversation a whole a whole nother podcast around that whole topic right there because i think you you will have a lot of people that are christian or non-christian that will listen to this and say well you know you guys had this faith and you guys um you guys were praying for healing and and this miraculous this miracle, right? And yes. and okay, well, well, God didn't. People will say God didn't provide that miracle, right? So so what what is what is this that you're talking about? Um, but you described the miracle in in, in many ways in in this the the account that you just told because here here is here is the thing. Jesus Christ already provided the miracle. The miracle is that he rose from the dead, giving us, as his children, victory over eternal damnation. Yes. Okay, the, the miracle's already... Y'all, y'all don't understand this. The miracle has already been provided. We, we live in a world where physical death is a reality. We live in a world where we as human beings are going to suffer. We live in a world where we as human beings are going to get sick, where we're all eventually going to pass from this place to another. That is the reality of it. The miracle is not that God comes down and takes away your cancer. The miracle is not that Jesus comes down and heals you from whatever it is that's ailing you. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of dying, in the midst of whatever it is that you've got going on in life, the miracle is God has already overcame that. The miracle is that God can come in and provide peace in the midst of all of that. That's the miracle. And and, and y'all don't y'all don't get this, man. Faith is in that all things will work for the the good of of what Christ is. All things will work to his advantage when he when you have surrendered control unto him. All things. Including sickness, including death, including suffering, including Bad times, all those things, when you've surrendered to him, it doesn't mean that you won't have to walk through that. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to walk through it, son. That's part of being in this physical world that we live in. And when you hear us men and women of faith talking about our faith and asking for healing, well, we are commanded to ask for healing because that's part of our faith. But 
If the healing doesn't come in the way that we expect it to come, in the way that we would like it to come, it doesn't matter because the healing has come in a bigger way than anything we could have ever prayed for or asked for. We're asking for a little piddly extension of time on this earth. God looks at us like, okay, well, you asked for it. If I've got something else for you to do and you need to be around, I'll keep you around. But let me tell you right now, this little piddly extension of life on this earth that you're asking for, that you think is the ultimate thing, no, son, you are looking at this thing way too small. I've already given you the miracle. Y'all know that. People don't know that, man. So they laugh at our faith. Right. They say, "What? What? What? Where was your God? Mm-hmm. My God didn't been here two thousand and twenty-two years ago. He was here on this earth, and he died on a cross. He went and was buried, and he defeated death and eternal damnation for all of his sons and daughters." When he rose again, rolled the stone away, and walked out of the freaking tomb, man. Y'all don't get this, man. You're looking at this too small. Mm -hmm. Listen to what Haley just told you. That no matter what it is, our God is so powerful. What he has done. Done, not what he is doing, what he has already accomplished is what brings peace into whatever the situation is. And nobody else that that is not in that that is not in the body of Christ can experience that peace in the midst of the pain of this life. And that's why when people see it, whoa. This joker's going through some hard times, but there's some kind of peace right here. I don't get that. What, 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 how is that happening? Well, no, man, that was something that was accomplished 2,022 years ago. You just ain't figured it out yet. That's what Haley's trying to tell you right now. That that nurse experienced that for the first time. She said, what the crap's going on right here, man? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well no, that, that, that's, that's what you're experiencing is the hope of eternal life. Get you some of that, son. Get you some of that. See how it changes you. I'm sorry. I had to go on that ramp. Oh, that was uh, good. And what a selfless example of, you know, you guys could have been like everybody else there. And not have impacted that nurse. But it's really selfless of you guys not to wallow in your emotion, but to actually just put that on display for everybody there so that spiritual life may come out of physical death. You know, like that's a hard thing. But spiritual life is more important than physical life. Yes. And so you guys may not have realized that in the moment, but to go through what you went through the way that you did so that someone may have spiritual life because of the pure hell that you endured for 13 days. Inevitable pain of this life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for the rest, yeah, the rest of your life. And it's crazy because, like, I didn't understand, like, I didn't know then that they were 
watching us or, you know, how we would react to certain situations and things like that. And after the fact, when she told me that, I kind of was like, wow, you know, what I, my faith and the way that I believed and, and truly, I mean, there was nothing I could physically do for HUD, mm-hmm. you know, nothing at all. Um, I would watch the monitors and sometimes if the, if the numbers would start to come down, I would just walk up and I would lay hands on him and I would just pray out loud. And, and I didn't realize that they were watching me, mm-hmm. you know, I, but, um, it's crazy the impact that something so small can have. Well, that's why obedience over understanding of any situation is most important because you can't know what people are thinking, what they're watching, when they're watching, the best way to act so that it will impact them the most. You simply have to be obedient, and then God does the rest. Yeah. You just be obedient wow. and do what you know to do is right, and he'll move in the hearts and minds of the people that are around you and have them take note of how you're acting. Right. When you when you walk into the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, the creator of the universe, I don't care how you believe, you're going to f- know that something's different. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. And that's exactly kind of what she was um, telling me that day, like how she exp- how she's never, she's been a cardiac nurse for 23 years and she's never really experienced the, the feeling that she got when she walked to our room. And, and I told her, I said, well, you know, like it's it's definitely the Holy Spirit, but it also was months of preparation. Like I put on that armor yeah. months ago, and I and I didn't I didn't know what was gonna go of it, but uh, I knew that we had to fight and um, and putting on that armor and just suiting up in in my faith and and really relying and trusting in God and whatever He was trying to show us during that time. Like I knew that I knew that whatever he was doing, it was going to be big. Mm-hmm. Um, but just hearing from her, someone who had no faith, um, what that did for her was astonishing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So HUD's heart, if listeners want to look and see what you guys got going on, yeah. donate, say the website again. It's HUDsHeart.com. Okay. H-U-D-S heart. Dot com. What about social media? Um, we do. We don't have a Facebook page yet, but you know. I don't blame you. We just. You guys have personal pages. I do, but. Okay. I don't have nothing. <laughs> yeah, he has no social media. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna do the five k on November the twelfth, and we still have a lot of spots for anybody who wants to sign up to run that with us. And and registrations on the website for that. Yes. You okay. Can, it's, there's like a tab that says registration, so you can okay. click on it, and it's going to be good. Outstanding. Well, thank you guys for coming and sharing your testimony with us, uh, sharing the uh, and memorializing Hudson and the fight that he um, put up for those 13 days. Thank you guys for um, being awesome sons and daughters of Christ and going forth now equipped not only with your experience uh, but equipped with um, being able to bring the Holy Spirit into the equation no matter where that you go, when you go there, and knowing that that is enough Mm -hmm. even if they're 
it, it man, what a, what a burden Christ takes from us that we don't even have to come up with what we need to say, how we need to act. We we just be obedient and we go forth. And um, I love you guys. That was a really impactful conversation. Took a lot of courage yeah. to share that. So yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us and yes. letting us, you know, use this platform to you know put you know use HUD's heart to change some hearts. Yeah. Yeah, because you truly never know when it could be you. Yeah, yeah. So. That's the truth. All right, guys. Well, you guys, um, go run the 5K. And um, Joey, Haley, we love you guys. Enough said. <laughs>